1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's com slash wondery.
2: Now when I read the princess's hand on her own stationery, saying that she prophesied her own death... She prophesied how she would die. She wasn't paranoid. She was an intelligent young woman who was informed. So what does that mean? Does that mean she was mad? Or does it mean that she knew she was going to die? I don't know. I I just think it's rather odd that she was here one minute and gone the next.
3: Hello and welcome to episode four of Fatal Voyage. Diana, case solved. I'm your host, former homicide cop Colin McLaren. Last time we learned how the Princess of Wales spent the last few years of her life making some very powerful and influential enemies.
4: I think for the Queen it was the last straw. That was the last straw. She just thought, this has got to end. I can't deal with this anymore. None of us can.
3: Not only among the royal family, but also in the shadowy world of international arms trade.
4: What I'm trying to say is...
0: They've got their own ways of dealing with things. And don't forget the big farmer and the oil companies, they are a law unto themselves. And they're not answerable to governments or people or anybody.
3: In this episode, we will hear how Diana would find love again and how the media circus she had created around herself was to have unforeseen and tragic consequences. She was very much under siege for those last few years of her life. She felt
5: judged all the time. She felt conflicted. I mean, certainly her relationship with the press is a very ambivalent one. She was hunted and tracked down by the paparazzi and quite outrageous things were written about her in some sections of the press.
3: After her split with Charles, Diana threw herself into her charity work, using her enormous celebrity to raise awareness for AIDS and HIV sufferers as well as to actively campaign for an international ban on landmines. But as she outwardly seemed like a strong, confident woman taking on the world, inwardly she was becoming increasingly paranoid. Here's Diana's butler, Paul Burrell. The princess had been
2: persecuted, undermined, misrepresented, misinterpreted all her life. And she was frightened during the last few years of her life. She thought she was being followed. She thought all her phone calls were being tapped. We pulled up the floorboards looking for listening devices. We even had someone from MI5 come in and unplug all the electric appliances to look inside them, see if there was any possibility of tapping the princess. She was told that beams could be sent from satellites in outer space and reflected from mirrors on the inside of the palace and listened to conversations. So we took down every mirror
0: she wrote letters to me as well to say that I think I'm going to be bumped off and this, that and the other. And I said yes. And it did become quite a standing joke at one point.
3: And in what seems horribly eerie with the benefit of hindsight, she was most paranoid about her car.
6: Once she said to me that she knew that she was being listened to in her car. She had a Mercedes, an neighbor Blue Mercedes car and she found her microphone in the visor.
7: She said to me, I could be killed in a car accident. I said, do we not every Friday night see an accident somewhere on the M4? So it's possible we could be involved in an
0: She said, actually, it sounds ridiculous now, as we were sitting there in the comfort of her sitting room in Kensington Palace. She said, but I really did believe, genuinely believe that someone was going to tamper with my car. She said, I really believe that. She said, I think I was too much of a problem. They wanted to get rid of me.
3: So intense was Diana's fear, she even had members of her staff check her vehicle for signs of sabotage.
2: She said to me, get underneath and see if you can see anything. Is there a pipe cut where the brake fluid goes in? I said to you, realize? I'm not an engineer, I don't know these things. Well, have a look. Is there anything unusual underneath the car? So I'd scramble underneath the car in my my uniform or my suit and try and find something which looked out of place. Of course, I never did. But she was convinced that the system was out to get her.
0: I think it's perfectly normal if you feel that the whole world is against you or the establishment, that you think, well, wouldn't it be easier to just have me out of the way And I think a rather simplistic idea of how to get you out of the way would be a car crash. But of course, the people are never, very, very seldom killed in car crashes, so I understand, if you want to assassinate them, because you you can't be sure it's going to work.
3: Feeling that she was surrounded by enemies and unable to trust anyone but her closest members of staff, Diana increasingly turned to psychics and spiritual healers for company. But was it really that strange? She wasn't the first famous and powerful woman to dabble in mystics. After all, Nancy Reagan and Jackie Kennedy were known to have consulted psychics about their daily lives. And
0: of course, when you're that much of an icon, life is low, because often when you come home, there's nobody there. Of course, she relied on psychics and healers and helpers because they were there to listen to her.
3: Among them was Sally Morgan, also known as Psychic Sally,
6: I'm a medium, so I was very well-known then. I was like London's best-kept secret. And she wanted to know that her dad was okay. Her dad had passed away. I came into her life when she was really making decisions for her own happiness. And she had made a decision that she's the only one that could make herself happy. She wasn't gonna rely on anyone else. I think she felt she had a lot of reasons to worry about an early death. She felt that. There were times when she would ring me three or four times a day and then there were times when she'd ring me once a day, normally in the morning.
3: Another of Donna's new confidants was spiritual healer Simone Simmons. We met at the end of
0: 1993. By 95, we were firm friends. 96, I mean, we were literally, how I put it, saw each other at least five times a week. Wherever Diana was in the world, she would phone
3: me. She wanted me to heal all sorts of famous people and put me on the phone to them. I started off as a healer. We ended up as best friends. Diana's reliance on Simone became borderline obsessive with the two spending hours on the phone together daily. And when Simone wasn't available, Diana would leave numerous messages on her answering machine. Here, Heard for the first time in over 20 years, Simone has shared some of those messages with us. If they are a poignant and slightly unsettling reminder of Dana's voice from beyond the grave, they also give an insight into a need for what friends she could find and for them to be permanently available.
0: tennis for one hour. Got so much to tell you, but I think you might have gone ghost hopping in that house. But anyway, I had this thing switched back at one. Whatever, whatever. I'll catch you later. Lots of love smooth.
3: Bye. That was in the summer of nineteen ninety five. Some eighteen months later another message shows Diana still feels the need to check in with Simon hourly, no matter what else she was doing.
0: in a meeting for another hour all went very, very well at lunch and I'll tell you when I've finished my meeting here Anyway,
3: lots of love, bye However, the psychics did nothing to allay Dana's fears that some shadowy conspiracy was going to sabotage her car and that paranoia reaches Zenith in an extraordinary letter she wrote to her butler, Paul Burrell
2: She sat at her desk often late at night and wrote me notes and this letter goes on for ten pages And part of it reads, This is the most difficult part of my life. I fear that Charles is going to organise an accident in my car. I am going to die of head injuries and be killed in order that he can marry Camilla.
3: Mr Burrell still has that letter, and as it later turned out, it was not the only time she expressed her fear in writing.
5: Princess Diana herself believed strongly that she was going to be murdered and she predicted how she would be murdered she said that she would be murdered in a car crash orchestrated to look like an accident and she very firmly blamed her husband for being behind that plot the british police hung on to that note it's known as the Mishkan note because she gave it to her solicitor at the time that she was most worried about what she saw were plots against her.
3: We will see in future episodes just what became of the Mishkan letter. Things were not all bleak for the princess at this time. In 1996, Diana had fallen in love again with a Muslim heart surgeon called Hasnat Khan.
5: There is no doubt that for those last couple of years of her life, she found an absolute soulmate in Hazlick Khan. Dr. Khan was a brilliant surgeon, but who was as dedicated to his craft and his skill as a medical professional as he was to his deep affection. He was helping people as opposed to helping himself.
2: That's what she appreciated. He was the true love of her life. I remember the day it happened. The princess had been to the Brompton Hospital to see children in the sick ward. And she said, I was coming down in the elevator and the elevator doors opened and there he was. And she said, you know, at that moment, I knew that he was the one. He was my Mr. Wonderful. That's what she called him. And of course, the romance started. He's not the best looking man in the world. He's not the fittest man in the world. He loves... Kentucky Fried Chicken and Beer. And he loves to watch the football. She says, but there's something spiritual about him. And from the moment she saw him actually in the operating theatre performing a heart operation with someone's heart in his hand, she said, I knew that this was the man I wanted to spend the rest of my life with.
3: Donna fell head over heels for Dr Khan, to the point where she almost literally forgot who she was. So she said to me one day,
2: can you arrange a secret marriage? I said, I'm not sure if I can do that. She said, well, go and speak to your priest friend in Kensington Church Street at the Carmelite Church. So I went to speak to a good friend of mine, and I said, I have a task for you. I would like you to come to Kensington Palace and marry the Princess of Wales to Dr. Hasnag Khan. And he looked at me as if I'd gone crazy, as if I was stupid. He said, I couldn't possibly do that. It's completely impossible. She is the mother of the future King of England and it has to be done through official channels. I went back for the news. She didn't speak to me for two days. She was totally upset.
3: There was another obstacle to her romance with Dr Khan. By 1997, Diana was unquestionably the most famous woman in the world and also the most photographed. Newspaper editors knew that any Diana exclusive would boost sales and were prepared to pay top dollar for the best new picture of her. Images of the princess built the empire of photographer Darren Lyons, who would go on to own one of the largest international photo agencies in the business.
0: There were many uh, Princess Diana pictures, though, in terms of the top selling. Certainly they were in the tens of thousands, the fifties of thousands, the hundreds of
3: thousands. And although Diana was adept at using that fame to manipulate the media when she wanted to, the unceasing attention would backfire.
0: So at the end of the day, if you're going to use the media to your own advantage, they're going to want more, 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 more of you. And that's the way it worked.
6: She was hounded by the press. I mean, oh boy. It was like you can't even imagine. And he didn't want any of that. I mean, at the end of the day, he was a surgeon. He worked, you know, he did incredible operations for people.
5: That was his life. He above all knew how tough it would be for him to have any kind of future relationship with the Princess of Wales. It would be virtually impossible. They considered living in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world, but Khan himself was realistic about it. He said that his life would be intolerable.
2: He said, if I marry you, I'm just going to become Mr. Diana and my world will disappear and everything I fought for and all the people that depend on me will miss me because I'll just have to be standing beside you.
5: He wouldn't be able to carry on being a doctor, which was his dream since he'd been a child, and he would just become a sort of adjunct of Diana's huge global fame. And he said he, he couldn't cope with that.
2: So on one night on Wandsworth Common, they had a huge argument And the princess came home and said, that's it. I've done it. I've had enough of him. I'm not going to see him again. So she thought that Haznet would change his mind and give up and come into her way of thinking. After all, she was a world icon by now. And if he truly loved her, he would give up his world to be beside her. That's what she really felt.
3: Heartbroken once again, Diana decided she needed a holiday. Enter Egyptian billionaire Mohammed Al-Fayed.
2: Diana had nowhere to take her children, so where should she take them? Luckily, Mohammed Al-Fayed had bought a yacht called the Jonical and he'd offered it to Diana as a playground for the princess.
4: People like the Al-Fayed because Muhammad Al-Fayed and his family were really useful for Diana because they had houses to stay in, yachts to go on holiday on, drivers and cars and planes, and she needed that.
2: So the princess went with the two boys to Saint-Tropez and had a wonderful two weeks, during which time she met Dodi Al-Fayed, Mohammed Al-Fayed's heir. Dodi Al-Fayed was already engaged to an American actress, and they exchanged pleasantries. But Dodi asked Diana if she would like to come back after the boys had returned to London.
8: The Saint-Tropez villa of Diana's friend, Mohammed Al-Fayed. In full view of waiting press and TV cameras, the princess went to the beach beside it today. She seemed unconcerned this time by all the attention the last time diana was entirely happy being pictured in public her thirty-sixth birthday and a fundraising event at a london gallery her french trips made her much less happy seeking out british journalists on a boat they'd hired she was widely reported as telling them you are going to get a big surprise with the next thing i do Diana herself went aboard another of Mr Al-Fayed's craft this afternoon, a luxury cruiser which sailed away leaving the media to wonder about her next move. No doubt also wondering how this latest episode will turn out, Diana's ex-husband this evening on his way to a serious gathering discussing youth unemployment with the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Nicholas Owen, News at 10. She couldn't
3: have known it then, but Diana was about to make a fatal decision. She had no plans. So she said to me, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I go away?
2: This was turning into something a little more serious. He was becoming very spoiling, very attentive, and was charming. And she found him very attractive. So why not go back on the ship to the Mediterranean?
4: Well, the irony of Diana's last days in the south of France was that she really thought she was there because it was one place that she could be safe. And that's what's so tragic about it. Six weeks before she died, I had lunch with her in New York when she came for the auction of her dresses for charity. She and I talked at a lunch with Anna Winter about where she was in her life. And she talked about how very much she dreaded August. She said, I hate this time of the year because I feel so much alone. I miss the boys and it's not a good time for me. So, you know, I remember feeling very moved by that and thinking, here's the most beautiful woman in the world who everyone's in love with. And yet she's really saying, I'm really going to be lonely this summer.
3: And to those who knew the princess, Diana and Dodie seemed a great match.
4: When I read that she'd actually gone off on this cruise with Dodie Al-Fayed, it all made complete sense. Here were the al fayeds who had a yacht to offer, they had helicopters to offer, they had all of this private luxury to offer... They were willing to take her on for the holiday because, of course, Al-Fayed loved the publicity of having Diana stay, and he was there not to conceal the fact that she was there, which is what she kind of thought was going to happen.
0: When I saw her with Dodie, I thought, well, there at last is a man that's going to treat a princess like a princess. He was a very charming young man, really charming, and he treated Diana extremely well. And I think he was just someone that Diana could really enjoy herself with.
5: Dodie fired... Understood her world. Dodified, although not directly, but had had a fairly privileged upbringing and had been in that world of Hollywood glamour over many years and had also been a rich man's son and had had a lot of privileges and perks growing up, lots of money and wealth around him. So he understood a bit about that sort of society and that. Diana said to me helped her realize that he was a guy who could take care of her.
0: The whole affair with Haznat Khan was conducted in the utmost secrecy, but this was dating, was glamorous and fun, and I think she was enjoying herself. I think it was as simple as that. I don't know if she was in love with him, but I don't think she can have been because she was in love with Haznat, but it was in the open, and I think she was literally enjoying herself.
3: However, not everyone was so excited about the apparent new romance.
4: Prince Philip, though, of course, greatly did dislike Muhammad al-Fayed. There's no question about it. He was considered to be an extremely vulgar, extremely aggressive self-promoter who was always trying to get his face in the papers with celebrities and royal family. Prince Philip regarded him as somebody who was just a social climber.
2: Well, back then, of course, it was quite dynamite for the princess to be dating a Muslim man anyway and the royal family didn't understand why Diana was doing this in such a public way. As far as they were concerned, it was embarrassing.
6: As soon as Dodie came into her life, where she would go on holiday, she never saw me. I don't think she wanted to hear what I would say, which was basically, this is gonna end in tears, and boy, didn't it. I remember saying to her sister, Sarah, that this will end in tears.
3: However, for the paparazzi, Diana and Dirty was a sensational story, and it seems that, for a while at least, the couple were not doing much to hide from the attention their summer romance was creating.
5: I know certainly
3: the last days
0: of her life in Saint-Tropez, the week she spent on the Jonacle, we were doing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds daily in sales on the Johnicle
5: and even on non-exclusive pictures.
4: Mohammed Al-Fayed was constantly tipping off the press about the whereabouts of the Princess of Wales in that last tour. But there were also moments when Diana was tipping off the paparazzi also.
2: She was actually helping the media by telling them where she would be at any one time. And she had a relationship with several photographers.
0: Jason yes, Fraser was another one at the time. He used to get very big and at times also worked closely with the, the Princess of Wales through different deals that the Princess of Wales
3: had. Why would Diana encourage the paparazzi feeding frenzy? Once again, she was using the press as her
4: weapon. She wanted certain photographs of herself with Dodie, where she was embracing Dodie and where she was frolicking with Dodie, to get out and be plastered in the tabloids to make Charles jealous and to make Dr Hasnac Khan jealous. And that's why she found Jason Fraser, the
0: photographer, when she was on the boat with Dodie.
3: And there was one long lens picture in particular that made headlines worldwide. Here's Paul Burrell. So on one occasion she said, watch
2: closely, I'll be on deck very soon. That's when we had the kiss photograph. Then watch again, and that's when I'll be on the end of the springboard photograph. But really in my mind, all these pictures were to create tabloid news it was to take the front page away from Charles and Camilla, but it was also for another reason. It was to indicate to another Muslim man in her life, Hasnat Khan, of what she was doing, who she was with, and where she was in the world. It was a sort of a, a woman's way of trying to win back her love. She rang me and said, has Hasnat seen? The pictures of me on the boat? I said, yes, of course he has. He goes to the newsagents every morning on the way to surgery and picks up the papers. You know he's seen them. Well, What does he say? I said, he's not very happy with you. And he says you should come home. She says, well, I'll stay a little while longer and see how it pans out.
4: This was a kind of terrible, toxic mix of motivations that was going around in Diana's head at that time, and leading her to do all kinds of reckless things that she shouldn't, namely go back into Paris with Dodie, drive through the streets with him, the press knew that she was there, go into the Ritz Hotel. I mean, these are very public places with tons of press around, and it was a madness to be in these kind of venues in the height of summer with Dodie al
3: Diana and Dodie's holiday was due to end on Saturday the 30th of August. But at the last minute, the couple decided to spend the night in Paris at the Ritz Hotel, which was owned by Dodie's father, Mohamed Al fayed Before she left, Diana made a couple of phone calls, one to the Daily Mail journalist, Richard Kaye.
5: She asked me a bit about Dodie and what the media were reporting. But she did talk about her plans for the future. She got this idea to launch a chain of worldwide hospices for dying children. And Muhammad Al-Fire, Dodi's father, was going to help finance it, but she was going to do a lot of fundraising for that. And she said she was going off on another landmines expedition to Vietnam. She'd been away for most of the summer. She said, it's time to get back, get back to work.
3: The other call was to Paul Barron.
2: She said, I want to come home. I want to come home to see my boys. But we're going to be a day late can you arrange my diary to be a day later than it is now and tell the boys not to come down from Balmoral until the Sunday and not the Saturday? I said, yes, I'll do all of that. She said, you will be there, won't you, when I get back? I said, of course I'll be there. I said, I'm always there. And the call finished. That was the last time I spoke to Diana.
3: Diana and Dodi arrived in Paris on her last day on earth with the press pack close behind.
2: There was a feeding frenzy which began with that picture of the kiss on the boat. The media were locked in and they wanted more. So they followed the princess all the way to Paris and they were determined to get a picture of their own. Every single photographer wanted their own picture of the princess, which would be their property.
4: The press ball was on her tail and once she divorced, she didn't have that circle of protection that she had as a royal. She had to invent it for herself. She had some private security, but she really didn't have much in the way of the big celebrity carapace that you have when you're a royal.
8: And
3: for Diana's former bodyguard, Ken Wharf, who had left her service when her Royal Highness title had been revoked, that was a very real worry. He remembers trying to warn the princess.
7: And wherever you go, whether it be in this country or abroad you will always be Diana, of the Princess of Wales. Nothing's going to change that. You'll always be tracked down because of who you are and what you've done and where you've been. I said, don't give up the security afforded by Scotland Yard. Because I said, we understand how it works. We understand how you work. And it's never let you down. Anyway, that was ignored. I, I haven't thought about that. And there's only one person that could have turned that around. Because had the Queen herself, and this is purely my belief, had Her Majesty the Queen said to Diana, Look, yes, I know you're going through a difficult time, but it's important that you retain the services of Scotland Yard, Diana would have said yes and not even questioned it. And had that been the case, of course, well, we wouldn't be having this discussion for a start. And she certainly wouldn't have died in a car crash.
3: Next time on Fatal Voyage, Diana, case solved.
0: They should never have stepped outside the hotel that night. They should have just stayed there.
2: I went to the al people and I told them, I know something is wrong. I can see uh, you guys watching your watch every 10 seconds. Just to inform you, I just was in contact of a photographer who was behind you know Diana and Dodi and there was an accident at the Alma Tunnel. And just after I finished my sentence, they all rushed running into the different cars. I ran towards my driver and we all drove down mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. into the tunnel. The
5: car careered into pillar 13 and then spun round and was facing in reverse, the opposite direction of when the paparazzi and everybody
0: else arrived. Dodie was dead. Audrey Paul was dead. And
5: let me just say to you, in the whole of this case, which is one of the many extraordinary things about it, this white Fiat that collided with the Mercedes S280, which Diana and Dodie were traveling, this Fiat which existed, which left residue and white paint on the wreck of the Mercedes, has never been found. And the driver of the white Fiat, which collided with the Mercedes, has never been identified.
3: Fatal Voyage, Diana, Case Solved, is hosted by me, Colin McLaren. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and is production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavour Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Billy Spear and written by Dominic Utten. Reporting... Aaron Tinney and Doug Montero, with additional research by me, Colin McLaren. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Cravett and Sam Adder. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Fatal Voyage, Diana Case Solved, wherever you get podcasts.